Knowing the headlines isn't always enough. Sometimes you need to talk about it. For stimulating conversation on the day's hot topics, this is your station. This is your show, The Ryan Jesperson Show, on 630 Chen, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. It's Thursday, February 25th. Just uh, four more days to go in this month. Of course, a leap year, which means we'll get to see the 29th. Did you know that this February is Black History Month? We've been looking forward to welcoming our next two guests into the Ched studio for quite some time. It's my pleasure to say hello to Ray Cash Walters. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Ryan? Doing very well. For those that don't know you, an Edmonton-based community activist with a passion for equality, and the politics of change. You've been featured in the Edmonton Journal, Afropunk, on the CBC and more in your free time. You're a rock climber. You're a yogi. And of course, people will have seen you at the doors as a political canvasser. You say there is always electoral change around the corner. Idris Fashion, my man. What's going on? How you doing? Good to have you here in studio. We've been waiting for this. Idris, a longtime lover of story and human history, a a Halifax-raised, self-professed technology nerd. (laughs) For 30 years, Idris now spends his days at the online marketing agency Top Draw. As their senior content strategist, you help business uh, share their stories to eager audiences. Your evenings, uh, many people have seen you drumming with local artists, partaking in community-building initiatives. Uh, Idris, also maybe a familiar name, the past president of the White Avenue Rotary Club. Thank you for being here. What does Black History Month mean to you both? Idris, why is it significant to you personally? Well, I have a pretty colorful upbringing. My parents, in fact, uh, are of mixed race, um, both of them, and so they have uh, unique identities. And uh, in fact, uh, my identity has been sort of a, a thing that I've struggled with for a, a long part of my, my youth. And, um, and so I was questing to figure out what, what, where, where I come from, what I re, what, where I really am in my identity um, in, through my teenage years. And I had uh, started working at a place called the Black Cultural Center for Nova Scotia, which was um, an African heritage museum and library and uh, community center in Cherry Brook in, in the uh, community of my mother and uh, her home community, that is. And so, you know, I really got um, motivated by the power of history, by the power of stories being told in books and being shared in in a museum sort of nature, but also being able to see it alive in the community center and working with kids and seeing, you know, how their identities are shaped by the stories that we explore. So for me, Black History Month is important because it's it's an opportunity for us to meditate on and to think about some of the stories that help to influence and shape the societies that we live in and who we are as people participating in that society. How about you, Ray Cash? Why is it such a, an important or significant month? Uh, for me, Black History Month is an opportunity for uh, me to just delve into my history as a Jamaican person, somebody of um, Jamaican descent, and someone who's also Canadian, and how those things interact. I think it was recently that I really understood the differences between Canadian um, blackness and American blackness. And I think it's important that people who are identify as black Canadian also interact with their Canadian blackness, even though there's, there's, we're so bombarded with um, um, American blackness in the media. 
that. Not saying that it's a bad thing, but it is definitely important for us to make those distinctions and, and, and understand our histories as well. One thing that I know a lot of people don't know about um, are the settlements that happened in different parts of Canada and the fact that there were slaves in Nova Scotia. And when black people came up from the States, um, they weren't necessarily treated very well, treated with respect. They weren't, they weren't given the best plots of land. They were kind of given the worst plots of land. And I think knowing that is really important. When I was in high school, every single year, I'd put my hand up in social studies and ask my teacher, so when are we going to go over black history? And uh, we never did. <laughs> so I think that's something that definitely needs to change. You don't hear the word blackness used a lot. I remember when City TV, I was working there at the time, secured the rights to air the American program Black-ish. Right. And and I was, and to a certain extent still still am, uncomfortable using that phrase. I mean, imagine if a white guy started saying, oh, this is my buddy. He's Black-ish. Can can we use words like blackness? Can we talk about that, or is it still? I mean, and I don't want to. Even if I say, is it still sensitive? It makes it sound as though it puts the onus on the the person that doesn't prefer the phrase. I'd rather us be proactive in our language. But but can I use that word? Well, I think there's 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 a huge. I think they're trying to reclaim the term blackish, and for someone else to call me. Blackish would it would sort of remind me of the way that people say, "Oh, you're just an Oreo. You're only black on the outside and you're white on the inside." And that that type of conversation is a little bit problematic. Um, but I think that the term blackness is is a little bit different because we're talking about what is it that makes you black and and how do you define your own blackness and and you can and, and it's about it's putting the onus on yourself to really delve into your own identity. Idris, you're almost bouncing in your chair. You're nodding your head so much. How come? I just think that. That, you know, it's almost like they're. I'm a bit of a word nerd, so it's almost like we're using the words to, as two separate things. They're two separate words, mm-hmm. because on the one hand, black is leaning to you know lineage or color, as it were, as opposed to blackness as identity or a spectrum of being. Right. So like, I see myself. I may be mixed race, but I still identify with being called black. So people say people don't say I'm a quarter Arab kid. People say I'm a black kid. And I say that at work, you know, I, we, I have a very diverse uh, work. We live in, we work in a very diverse area um, at Top Draw. It's amazing, um, and we we talk about these things. We talk about culture, and you know, it, it's really interesting because I speak up as a black person, a black Canadian. You know, the fact that I wasn't actually born in Canada it doesn't reflect that. The fact that I have you know different. Uh, ethnic backgrounds in my background doesn't reflect that. My blackness is is part of that spectrum of being, not part of my bloodline. You know, so I think that there's there's a unique kind of take to that. There's a there's a cultural component to the word black that I think that we have to kind of be more careful of no, no, not careful, but we just need to be more aware of it. And, and this this is one of the reasons and, and, and sort of as an outsider, but I, I, I look at a phrase like blackish and then you watch the program and what is it implying? The ish implies that he's kinda not quite black. And why is he not quite black? Because what? He's educated. He lives in a nice neighborhood. The family structure is intact. He's got a steady job. Like, is, is really? So in other words, are we saying that there's a stereotype of what black represents and, and a black individual that does not fall within that is not truly black? And this is also one of the problems when you have people from outside defining yeah. what is on the inside. Yeah. Right? Because to us, black is an inside thing. It's not about blood. It's about 
identity. It's about soul. It's about who we are. When you see a you know, a script writer looking at black as black-ish, then it suddenly is an outsider looking at blackness saying what they think it might be. So maybe it is a reflection of stereotypes. Maybe it is a reflection of, you know, things that are inaccurate to the to, to the black experience all the way. Or maybe it's just a carryover of old tropes that, you know, have stuck around. Maybe it's chicken and watermelon or whatever, right? I, I don't know. I haven't actually watched the program, and I, I, I kind of wish I had now. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it's, it, 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 it actually, it funny? It, it's yeah, kind of good. funny, but it's one of those ones where, like, as a white guy, I'm like, I can't laugh at this. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is not a show designed for me to laugh at. I mean, it, Ray Cash, you, you touched on something really interesting, and, and, and we want to note that many different nations recognize Black History Month in the month of February, so it's not necessarily Canadian Black History Month or American Black History Month, but you noted the difference, the importance, in your words, of recognizing the difference between Canadian blackness, in your words, and American blackness. What are some of those differences as you perceive them, and and why is it important to differentiate between the two? Well, to me, it's the conversation that I often have with folks who are black and they're from the States. And, um, I mean, we do it so much in Canada because we have so many different cultures who have recently, you know, fairly recently settled here, right? And so the conversation I have with them is, hey, so where are you from? And they're like, oh, I'm from Florida, I'm from Mississippi. Um, but when someone asks me where I'm from, I say, oh, my family's from Jamaica. So there, there's a difference there because of the recency of, 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 of the history. How did we come here? When did we come here? In what form? Um, and so when I see blackness in the States is a little bit more um, it's a little bit more integrated into their society. Um, they're 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 part of Hollywood. Those those streams of of experience of slavery is more deeply rooted there, um, and their histories of like the '60s and all of those um, up, uprisings are different from what we had here. Here during the '60s, we had we had sit-ins and we had experiences of that, but um, folks didn't feel as connected to to I guess the struggle as it were. So I think that's the main difference here. Idris, you were born uh, in a maritime province, and uh, not to suggest that there is not significant black history here on the prairies, and we'll get into that in just Mm -hmm. a little bit, but there's a very rich history in eastern Canada that that I'm not sure all of us know about. Yeah, indeed. Uh, In fact, going back to the 1780s, there was, uh, you know, during the uh, independence, the War of Independence in the U.S., there were free and, uh, in some cases, very wealthy uh, black people that were coming up and settling in areas like Shelburne and Birchtown. Uh, along the south shore and then up along the uh, eastern uh, eastern shore as well, so into sort of Halifax, Dartmouth area. Um, And, you know, that's like a large movement of people. And then also through the War of 1812, there was another movement of refugees, and that's part of my lineage is, you know, those folks that had come up um, during the War of 1812 during the Civil War. And at that time, there were privateers and, you know, ships coming up and down the seashores of the U.S. grabbing slaves and taking them up because it was, you know, an economic uh, you know, uh, warfare. It was it was still a commodity trade, essentially. And they were like, "Well, we can we can break these guys down by taking these guys up." You know, so um, it was a tactic. Um, but at the same time, it it, it served 
uh, getting the people out and getting them away from uh, what what could have been a, a reality of indentured servitude for you know generations. So, um, but then moving forward, looking at the world uh, the world wars uh, themselves, that we had large migrations of people from Jamaica, from Barbados, and the islands um, who had come up because of the war effort and the fact that there weren't a lot of working people left in Nova Scotia. So they were migrants that were coming up, and then they were able to settle in parts of like Sydney, uh, Sydney mines. Um, yeah, so, you know, looking at uh, the, the color and uh, richness of those movements in and, and, and also out into other parts of uh, Canada, um, even leaning into Alberta and, uh, and B.C. Is, is pretty amazing. I asked the both of you in preparation for this segment to, to bring in at least one story that you wanted Ched Nation to hear. When we return with Idris Fashion and Ray Cash Walters, we'll get to that. I'd also like to know, Raycash, what you're talking about when you when you reference black excellence. We'll go there. And does prejudice still exist in 2016? I'll ask these two, our special guests, in this look at Black History Month here on 6:30. Chad. <laughs> 11.21 on this Thursday morning. We're about 15 minutes away from a conversation with Alberta's Finance Minister Joe Sisi. Right now, we're talking Black History Month. Of course, it falls uh, every calendar year in the month of February. Our guests, Idris Fashion and Ray Cash Walters. I had asked uh, both of you to come in with some thoughts, some observations, something that you thought deserved the spotlight here through this broadcast. Idris, you immediately thought of John Ware. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, I, I want to preface this a little bit because being from the East Coast and uh, seeing for the first time in 2003 what, you know, the the Albertan kind of philosophy, that Albertan spirit, uh, it really kind of hit me like a wall because I, I, I was kind of like, whoa, these, this this presence, this uh, immediate need to always be pushing oneself and to always finding opportunities and the positivity that's sort of rooted in that. And a lot of it was attributed to the Ukrainians and the Ukrainian struggle. And my wife is Ukrainian uh, as a part of her background. And so it was very interesting to me. But there's also another story that predates that a little bit. And that's John Ware. Because in 1882, he was born a slave and had um, worked in in the States uh, as as a child. And then came up through Montana um, and then crossed into Alberta, settling eventually into Calgary. Um, But he was uh, a well-established cattle rancher uh, and uh, also a uh, cattle rustler. So he had... um, brought in a lot of new interesting uh, innovations and uh, the I know that in fact the native people used to uh, call him the uh, big black white man because he sort of embodied this very uh, integral uh, honest straightforward but always thinking ahead kind of guy and so he pioneered a lot of techniques uh, of, of the era in cattle ranching in uh, cattle wrestling and had found in fact uh, a several of the uh, oil fields in that area so he's got a whole bunch of different things of innovations and spirit that have brought um, to me a sort of it's sort of the, that spirit that has continued today that we see, that we've seen in the Ukrainian settlements, what we've seen, you know, talked about in, you know, the First Nations people. So I, I, it's like this part of that collective spirit, that collective story, um, 
really sort of moves me to see that kind of representation of that as well um, mm. in the black experience. You know, back in the day, many of my friends that grew up in Calgary attended John Ware Junior High, and, and, and I'd be curious to know how many actually know the nuances of the intricacies of the story Indeed. itself. Uh, Ray Cash, you, you talk about uh, black excellence all the time. What do you mean by that? What does it mean to you? Why is it such a priority? Why is it so important to talk about? Um, one of the reasons that black excellence is so important because is because it reminds me that um, there were black people before slavery as well. And pre-colonial stories of um, black people just doing excellent things um, is really important to me. Like the things that, um, like the styles of dressing or doing your hair and all of those things that happen in West Africa and, and, and the culture that's popping off like right now in Lagos is is amazing and international and it's really influencing the conversations that are happening here in Canada and also in the states and the styles that are um, like in in California some of the styles that um, are really popular right now are coming from Lagos and Nigeria and other cool. stations nations like that um, and black Twitter black Twitter is one of my favorite things um, that's happening right now black Twitter and black Tumblr it's where a lot of these ideas and where the black lives matter movement actually originated and so not just the terms and the culture is coming out of social media and black Twitter um, but also the things that we know as right now, um, as the most important things as part of uh, the movement for equality. I find it really interesting. I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement has certainly captured people's attention, most specifically stateside, but I think most Canadians are aware of it as well. But also, when you bring something like that to the forefront, or when a movement like that gains momentum, it can also prove to be quite divisive. Do the two of you still encounter prejudice or discrimination today 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. yeah it still happens um i i like to emphasize that it's 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 not necessarily you know people throwing things at you or name calling sometimes it's what they call microaggressions so very small incidences of people or security people who follow you when you're walking then you know you walk into a store and then you've been marked right and uh, you've personally experienced that yes definitely it, it actually happens, um, or flying, and, you know, I have to remove pretty much everything right off the bat. I just, there's sometimes, like, when I go through Pearson, I get the look, and then it's just like, okay, the shoes, the socks, the belt, the, and, you know, just take just take everything off and put it in the bucket, you know, because I'm going to be here for 20 minutes if I, if I start fighting. And those things happen. Those things do happen. Um, Your face, Ray Cash, when I asked the question, almost looked, and I'm not accusing you of this, but you almost looked at me like, that's such a stupid question. It has <laughs> such an obvious answer. I mean, it's not a stupid question. I think that in Canada, we get a little bit cocky and we think that racism is dead here, but it's really not. Um, even right now, the Edmonton Police Service is dealing with um, um, allegations from the Somali community and personal stories of folks who, um, they're not really being treated fairly, whether it's um, them not being responded to um, at a, in a timely manner or them being pulled over on the side of the street. Uh, for me, it's folks just sort of... Um, asking me questions that are a little bit inappropriate. Like, why are the insides of your hands lighter than the outsides? Is it because they wore out? Um, why is your tongue pink? I didn't know your tongue was pink. You know, just, just kind of ridiculous questions that I feel like we should know by now. And I think one of the issues that a lot of black women really struggle through is issues about our hair. Uh, right now, there's a movement towards natural hair. Natural hair is accepted. It's or becoming more accepted, becoming more beautiful. We're in, you know, 
10 years ago, even right now, a lot of folks can't go into an, an interview with their natural hair because they won't get hired or they'll be told that it's not professional. So a lot of these things are happening on a day-to-day -day basis, and people still put their fingers in my hair without me giving them permission. So Really? Yeah. That, that That's probably even worse than putting your hand on a pregnant woman's belly without permission. I mean, that is a no-fly zone. That is a no-go as far as I'm concerned. What would the two of you in closing now like the listening members of our audience to take with them as we, you know, near the end of Black History Month, but of course take opportunities to have these conversations and to ask some questions and to encourage dialogue. Sometimes in, in radio we call this a takeaway. What should people take away from this? Well, I think public con conversation is something that's really important and I think that it's happening a little bit more with these issues coming to the forefront so I'd encourage people to um, ask questions and at the same time if you're asking a question of someone who has answered that question many many times and they don't feel like answering you you're not entitled to the answer to that question but I do encourage you to continue to ask uh, another thing is I'm involved with the Afro quiz we were talking about black history and we we're talking about um, talking more about the history of black people in Canada and um, so Afro quiz is happening on this Saturday, February 27th, at the Stanley A. Milner Library. That's uh, 7 Sir, Win Sir Winston Churchill Square. Um, it's at uh, 1 p.m., and it goes, I think, for a few hours. So I'd encourage people to come out to AfroQuiz and learn some more. It's a great competition for folks to learn more about black history. Perfect. Idris? Uh, well, you know, one of the things that I think is important is that people recognize and understand that history is alive. It's a living thing. It's not a case of records. It's not just about what's happened. It's, you know, we know what it looks like when people's cultures and histories have been taken away from them. We know what, you know, the uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission, for example, showed that. And we see what it looks like when we come back from it. So history has meaning, it has importance, and it has value. And we need to look at it as a living thing and not something that is not just something that has happened. Idris Fashion and Ray Cash Walters, thanks for hanging out with us today and thanks for sharing your personal stories and, and some of your thoughts. It's exactly what we were hoping for uh, through this feature, this focus on Black History Month. Thank you to you both. Thank you. Thanks so much for having Here's the news. 11.35 on this Thursday morning. A, a couple of notable items on uh, Finance Minister Joe Sisi's agenda yesterday. As mentioned earlier, a meeting uh, behind closed doors with uh, CFIB, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, President Dan Kelly, uh, as well as VP Richard Truscott and their Director of Provincial Affairs for Alberta, Amber Ruddy, uh, following that meeting, or perhaps it was before. We'll ask the minister in just a second. Of course, an update when the minister addressed Albertans with his third quarter economic outlook. We'll ask about both right now. It's our pleasure to say hello to the Honourable Joe Sisi, Alberta's Finance Minister. Good morning to you. I'm Hi, Ryan. It's great to be on. Yeah, we had an opportunity to catch up with Dan Kelly in the 9 o'clock hour. He told us how the meeting went from his perspective. They were asking you to show support to Canada's independent businesses in, in uh, adding a voice of dissent to Prime Minister Trudeau's potential expansion of the Canada Pension Plan. How did you take their message? Uh, well, certainly uh, respect the views of all stakeholders who come and talk to me, and we have uh, good discussions. Um, I know that, uh, you know, there's nothing on paper at this point in time. We, uh, uh, the federal government is putting some work together, and then at a future uh, federal-provincial um, meeting, uh, we'll see some of that paperwork. So basically, uh, 
Everybody knows that income security and retirement incomes for people is really, really important. Um, and sometimes Canadians don't have enough of that, and we need to ensure they go into retirement with it. Uh, we're looking forward to discussions with the federal government, though we have not seen any paperwork. Mm. Do you get the sense from Albertans that are communicating with your office, with you directly through your constituency office, or whatever the case may be, that many people are feeling squeezed to the point where they don't know if they can be squeezed much more? Um, Well, certainly this is a challenging time uh, in our province. The economic downturn is negatively affecting all Albertans and businesses. Uh, So, you know, the kinds of discussions on CPP uh, expansion will take time to, uh, to formulate, and I haven't seen anything yet, so I think it's premature to... Uh, come up with uh, a position or a decision, and that's what I told Mr. Kelly. Minister, yesterday you spoke to Albertans uh, down at the legislature, your third quarter economic outlook, and that's where you let us know that the deficit uh, for next year, 2016-17, could be as high as $5 billion more than what was expected. The number I've always had uh, that jumps out at me in my memory is $5.4 billion. So are we talking about $10.5 billion here in the interest of accuracy? Well, uh, certainly, um, that's a projection for what could happen, and I wanted to be honest and frank with the people of Alberta about the generational challenge that we face due to declining oil prices. Um, I think I'm being forthright when I say that this challenge that we face is uh, pretty uh, big. Uh, but we have a plan, and the plan we have, of course, is uh, around investment in infrastructure throughout this province. Uh, It's uh, also in terms of diversification of businesses and jobs, uh, putting Albertans back to work through a capital investment plan. Uh, And lastly, we're going to uh, be pushing for uh, pipelines, and all of that stuff's going to help. We have core public services, though, as you know, um, Ryan, that we we just cannot uh, cut and believe that uh, things will be good for Albertans. We need to uh, keep those core public services strong and not throw people out on the unemployment line at, because Albertans then would be going to hospitals and and trying to get their kids in schools, and it'd be impossible. Yeah, it's been interesting. You know, we have this debate that unfolds on, on our text line to 630-630, and we've, uh, a listener earlier this morning floated the idea of a sales tax. I know you've said that that's not something right. you want to look to right now. Why are you so adamant about that? And, and by the way, I'm inclined to agree with you on that, <laughs> but why is that your call? Well, why are you inclined to agree? Well, quite frankly, Minister, I, I think that when we talk about the Alberta advantage, it's important to retain some of that, even if it's just perception, and and second of all, I think a lot of people right now, the pocketbooks are, 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 are a lot more dusty and cobwebby right. than they have been in past. Well, you're, you're mirroring the same sorts of things that uh, I agree with you. I really do agree. And I think Albertans generally agree with you, Ryan and me. Um, they uh, want us to look at the, the spending side of the equation and constraining spending. And we are doing that in numerous ways. Uh, we are... Uh, $463 million lower than estimated in budget 2015 on the spending side, so we found savings, uh, and we're going to do that a lot more going forward. What, what are some examples that you can give us that Albertans could relate to of where you're cutting back spending? Well, we're freezing salaries of uh, uh, not only the political staff here and MLAs for the entire term, but uh, 7,000 
Uh, Alberta Public Service employees' salaries were frozen for two years, as well as their grid movement. Do you uh, get that's, this? That's going to. Uh, in itself, save about uh, $60 million. Minister, do you get the sense that if you were to cut and hack and slash at the management level of the public sector that you could make significant cost savings without affecting service delivery? No, not, not in the least. I have uh, sat down with my officials and corporate human resources, and they've showed me the, the stats of where uh, the management level was in the mid-'80s, where it was in the 90s, and where it is in the... Uh, where it is nowadays, and they believe they are second in the country in terms of lowest managers per employees. It's a, it just, I mean, I'm just telling you, and this is just sort of a straw poll. This is just what I get off the tax line, but that's not the message I get from people that work every single day in those sectors for the government. You know, I, 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 part of it is the information that perhaps I'm reviewing, uh, the uh, either frontline people or or just the regular public don't have, and so they think about uh, governments generally, and they don't know about what this government has done to drive down the uh, the employees per managers, and it, it's significant. Minister, you talked yesterday about uh, the importance that you feel in comparing our deficit to our provincial gross domestic product. Why are those two numbers so important in comparison from your perspective as finance minister? Sure. Well, I think the more substantive way to look at the health uh, around a government and its debt ratio is to look at the GDP, what it can sustain, essentially, in the economy. And uh, when I look around the country uh, and at the federal government, the average debt-to-GDP is 30%. In Alberta, today, we... uh, No, sorry, yeah, today, we have 5.7% debt-to-GDP which tells me that we're leading the pack in, uh, in governments, provincial governments, to, um, and, and the way we're managing our debt. In releasing the budget after the Calgary Greenway by-election, are you helping the NDP candidates' chances down there, assuming this is kind of a bad news budget, so to speak? Oh, gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> I, and, and I'll tell you what I'm thinking about more. I'm thinking about uh, more about getting things right uh, with budget and taking the time we need to uh, deliver to Albertans a budget that stimulates the economy, that invests in Alberta and protects services and Albertans who are hurting. Why is it so important to have our provincial budget? You've said the first couple of weeks of April. Why is it so important to have that after the federal budget? Uh, you know, it, it's not bad to get a look at where the feds are going just so uh, we. Uh, can confidently message uh, how we align with the federal government in terms of infrastructure investment, capital investment, and uh, EI provisions. I would, I would dearly love to uh, be able to announce in my budget speech that uh, the federal government's heard that um, and that uh, we're going to be working closely with them to uh, uh, address the hurt that Albertans are experiencing. Our guest, Finance Minister Joe Sisi, will give the final question to a listener out of Lac La Biche, who says, please ask Mr. Sisi why pipelines are number three on his list of priorities. Congrats. It doesn't sound like it's the priority. Why doesn't the NDP appear to be aggressive in this matter with the Prime Minister? Well, I can tell you that the, prime, the, the, the Premier of this province has led the uh, energy st- national energy strategy in the summer, last summer, uh, and getting coalition amongst all the uh, premiers and, uh, and uh, first ministers around that. 
so Premier Notley is uh, steadfast in her support of pipelines, and I can say it for your listener right now, pipelines, pipelines, pipelines are a priority for this government. We're going to save that audio clip. <laughs> Finance Minister Joe Sisi, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. You can let me know what you think on the text line to 630-630. Trevor says, so you tell me frontline workers aren't educated enough to understand where some efficiencies and savings may be found? That's the case in any workplace, isn't it? I mean, you talk to people, The I often on this program refer to them as the boots on the ground. You know, the people working up a sweat. You know, you know if you're one of them. You're going, I'm the one doing the real work, and I'm not even getting a share of the pie. You ask those people if efficiencies can be found, you better believe it, almost in every single workplace. Now, is that necessarily the way to govern? You've got to take balanced perspectives. Like he said, some people are looking at different balance sheets or different numbers than others. Maybe both Trevor and the minister have a point. Let us know what you think. 780-496-0063. If you heard our interview with Premier Rachel Notley earlier this morning, you can chime in on that as well. If you missed it, you'll find it at 630ched.com under the shows link, also on our 630ched YouTube page. And, of course, I've tweeted out the link. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be right back. Our thanks to Finance Minister Joe Sisi for making himself available. Now it's over to you. 780-496-0063. Brian calling in, first in line. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind? Hey, Ryan. Um, yeah, I heard the uh, your interview with uh, the minister there. Um, and the first thing that came to mind to me, and, and, and as an Albertan, I mean, I'm as concerned as anybody about... Uh, are, are, are these huge deficits because I know who's going to end up paying for them is our kids and our grandkids. I know, you know that's an old cliche, but there, there's no way around it. Um, you know, and you can blame the oil prices for what's happening. I get it, but spending, you know, that's where this government's going to be held accountable. Is is their spending? And and what I, all I'm hearing from this uh, minister is that they're going to just kind of keep everything the way it is, freeze wages and salaries and and the perks and whatnot but uh i've heard i've heard this from uh people you know even even wild rose critics that have said um that there is a lot of fat actually in management especially in healthcare. the number one expenditure for uh for where our tax dollars are going is albertans so i don't buy this for a second that you know that you know his argument what i would suggest is you know as a concerned Albertan, I'd love to see an independent uh, review, you know, on our healthcare system. Uh, not frontline workers, because we definitely need the services. But why not, you know, if you know, since this is our money, since this is our future, why not have an independent uh, study on on uh, the spending and and you know, with with uh, management and you know, the, the upper echelon of yeah, and, and then you have to ask, Brian, who's going to commission that, right? Because what are going to be the optics of the findings? But that is why we do, and I'm not suggesting these groups are independent, but it's why we try to bring in groups like, and they're all over the political spectrum, but when you hear from the Parkland Institute and the Fraser Institute and the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and Friends of Medicare and all these different groups, we want to get those perspectives so we can conduct, uh, you know, the type of questions, we can attempt to answer the questions that you're asking. Well, okay. Uh, who did he say? Who did uh, who did this minister say 
did the did this actual study and, and came back to him saying that, no, there's nowhere to look here, move along. Oh, yeah, well, I would imagine it would probably be the inner workings of his ministry. I don't know exactly who he'd pin yeah. it on, yeah. Well, again, so why not get a different perspective? And, and I mean, you know, we're all in this together, so why not have an independent uh, look at it? Not to say that, you know, that it has to be, uh, you know, bound to anything, but why not have another, you know, independent, you know, open the books, let's see everything. Yeah, I don't blame you for asking that. Brian, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Marcel calling in this morning. Hi, Marcel. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Oh, a little bit of this and that. I just wanted to uh, comment a little bit on, on your show this morning uh, with regards to, to Minister Notley. Like, um, I think what the NDP do, is doing as far as an Indigenous person is concerned is, is great. Uh, we have a government in Alberta that's that's starting to recognize uh, treaty and of the indigenous people here in this country, uh, and starting to recognize that the lands and the resources inherently belong to the indigenous people, and that you need to invest or work with the indigenous people to to help find a solution to the economic woes in this country because our communities are suffering too. Um, our com- our communities are going through uh, economic downturns, just like everybody else in towns and municipalities. Um, but the budgets are, are, are geared towards towns and municipalities and, and, and general, generally Albertans, not necessarily Indigenous communities. But um, that's not to say we're not, uh, we're not affected. We are. We're affected by oil prices, just like everybody else. And, and we want to be part of the solution. Mm. Marcel, I appreciate you uh, calling in to make that point. Thanks for listening to the show. I can see where Marcel's calling in from. Good morning to the Frog Lake First Nation. Uh, We've got a couple more calls on hold. I've got to fit in one last break. We'll get back to the phone lines. Marianne's up first right after this. Good conversation on the show today. Our thanks to Premier Rachel Notley, Dan Kelly from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, Joe Cece as well, all on the political front. And then, of course, Idris Fashion and Ray Cash Walters talking Black History Month. Marianne will have the last call of the morning. Hi, Marianne. Oh, hi, Brian. I wanted to say that um, openly, um, Premier Notley just appointed three new ministers, one of which was due to have a baby any day and could not fulfill her ministry. Now, she'll be getting ministers' pay. Well, she's not able to do her job. Yeah, six I mean, that's new ministers, Marianne. Done. Yeah, six of them. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, like, where is the... Uh, you know, where is the savings on any of this? This is a a big raise for these people. It is a big raise. I mean, some might also argue that the premier had a, had a pretty scaled down cabinet with 13 members, including herself. And, and now with adding six plus an associate minister, she's bringing it back up to the number that Albertans are used to. She says that with Stephanie McLean out with, with her newborn uh, son, that, that other ministers or other ministers staff will pick up the load in her absence. Uh-huh. Well, you know, if that's, you know, I, I I just couldn't see that this was all necessary at this time. Yeah. Marianne, did you hear me ask Premier Notley about that? No, I did not, dear. You, you, you I you didn't can, watch that. Yeah, you'll, you can find it on our website. I don't think she liked the question very much. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, she... I'm glad that it was asked and, and answered, and uh, this is what she said, yeah. And I have, and I have absolutely heard that we have the highest paid 
public servants in all of Canada. Per capita, we have the most and the highest paid ones. Oh, Marianne, I appreciate the call. Thanks for listening to the show. Okay. A lot of things to think about. Some sharp listeners calling in today. I wanted to take the last few seconds of this show to offer the most sincere thank you to every single one of you who tuned in yesterday, and more importantly to those of you who called in or who went online to support 630 Ched Heart Pledge Day, live from the Mazinkowski Alberta Heart Institute. We reached our goal. The goal was $170,000, and I can tell you that we're actually past that. We've raised more than $170,000, and that's because people like you stepped up and made it happen. I can't tell you on behalf of all of us here at 630Ched and Chorus Radio how much that means to us and how much it means to the patients and the staff at the Mazinkowski. Make it a great Thursday. We've got an awesome show in store for you tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. We'll talk to you.